Greetings, fiends. Because this case is so big, we decided to tell it in two parts. And I thought it might be fun to tell the fictional element of this episode in two parts as well. The conclusion of this story will air at the opening of part two. Part one. Oh my God, Gabby. Gabby Henderson, is that you? A woman I didn't recognize yelled this from across my snowy lawn. Uh, yeah, it's me, I reply from under a tangle of tiny incandescent Christmas lights. I know the LEDs are more efficient, but there's something so warm and magical about the old ones. The woman shouting at me was also walking a small terrier. And after I answered her, she began rushing across my lawn to get a better look at me. To most people, this interaction would be unsettling to say the least, but I grew up in this town. I moved away when I was 13 and haven't been back since, but some people never left. The town holds some pretty terrible memories for me. But when my grandmother died and left me her house, I decided to give it another try. In all honesty, had my grandmother passed just a year earlier, I would have sold this house immediately. But my husband and I divorced about a month before her passing, so it just made sense to move here, at least until I get on my feet. My daughter, who did not like our little apartment in the city, hopes it will be forever, but I hope not. Gabby, oh, hi. Wow, I can't believe it's really you. God, it is, it is just so good to see you back in this town. How are you? Oh, thanks. I, uh, I'm okay, I guess. Settling in. Oh, Gran had these in her attic. I'm just lucky they all still work. <laughs> I respond with all the politeness we reserve for people who know us on Facebook, but not in real life. The woman's face changes the way everyone does when you bring up the dead. Her eyes went a little misty and a soft smile floats to her face. I was so sorry to hear about your grandmother, she says. You know, the town really isn't the same without her. She was such a big part of our community. It's nice to hear that, I say, though this comment is a little more forced. She always loved this place. It broke her heart when we left. The woman's face changes yet again. This time her eyes moved from my face to the snow on the lawn. Slowly, she covered her nose and mouth with her vertical hands like she was about to whisper prayers into them, but at the last minute forgot what to say. Everybody gets somber and weird when I mention my departure. The woman took a deep breath and looked up to the sky slowly, touching her chin to the tips of her fingers and froze there for a moment. When she brought her chin back down and met my gaze once more, I noticed that her face had veered off the usual path that this conversation takes. Her eyes were filled with tears, and as she moved her chin, they spilled quickly over her cheeks and onto the ground below, making two hot little dents in the snow. You don't recognize me, do you? She said softly. No, I don't. I'm sorry. It's just, it's been a really long time. Gabby, it's me. Laura. The glowing lights fell out of my hands, and for a minute I thought my knees might betray me. It's strange when a face you think you'll never forget takes you by surprise. Laura, I whisper. Immediately, my brain time travels back 25 years to when the two of us were 10. Her hair had gotten darker and the freckles on her nose had been replaced with little creases around her eyes, but, but it was her, just the same. 
For a moment, I am overcome with memories so vivid it's like they were happening all over again. I can see her pink face lying next to mine in the snow as we try to hide from the boys who are pelting us with snowballs. I can smell her salty, chlorinated, bare little shoulder, the one I would lay my head on as we sat under a big maple tree, discussing how we could meet up in our dreams at night so we could finally fly and pet unicorns without having to pretend. But it wouldn't actually be real, I'd say. And then she'd say, that doesn't matter. It'd be real to us. And then, as the light from a passing car hits her face, I can see her wild, panicked eyes as I run from a small garden shed. She is screaming for me to come back and not to leave her behind. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done, but I ignore her and I run as fast as I can. I knew in that moment her only hope for survival was for me to get help. I see that last image often. Gabby, she said, gently waking me from my trance. I'm so sorry for the way everyone treated you. It was awful. You didn't deserve any of that, and I'm so sorry I lied. Gabby, I was scared. I didn't know what else to do. They should have believed you. You weren't crazy. You're the bravest person I've ever met. I just couldn't be brave like you. Not then. But you should know that you saved my life. I knew it was real, I say. The monster. I was so scared it was going to hurt you. Laura nods. I know you were. Come on. I want to show you something, she says after a moment of silence. Behind me, I hear my front door swing open. Mom! My daughter yells. I'm hungry. Can we order pizza? Oh, sure, I reply. Go ahead and order it. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk with my friend here, and when I get back, I'll pick it up. Okay, she yells and goes back inside. Is she yours? Laura asks, and I nod affirmatively. She looks just like you. It's like seeing the part of your life I missed. I can tell she's waiting for me to reply, but I say nothing. I'm not sure I even know how to speak anymore. Come on, she says, and takes my hand. As soon as our hands meet, I shrink six inches, and instantly the heart of a 12-year-old beats in my chest. We walk along silently with her little dog. I still dream about you sometimes, she says after a while. I don't dream at all anymore, I reply, which I can tell hurts her. Tell me how you remember that day, she says. I haven't told anyone this story in years. Usually I refuse to speak of it, but for some reason it just starts pouring out of me when she asks. We were in your backyard playing with the rabbits. My mother had given me two for my birthday that spring, and she was told they were both female, but it turned out they weren't. And by midsummer, we had five more bunnies. Somehow you had convinced your mom to take three of them. One of the babies had dug under the chicken wire enclosure and we were running around trying to catch it. We had it cornered by the fence when we heard some crying coming from the woods in the back of your house. We weren't allowed in the woods back there because the underbrush was all poison ivy. We broke that rule once, and only once. But this was different. We could hear what sounded like another kid. We couldn't see them, and they couldn't hear us. We didn't know why they were crying or if we'd get in trouble for going in the woods, even if it was on a rescue mission. And if we came in that night with a rash, everyone would know where we'd been. So we grabbed the little bunny and put him back in his hutch 
then snuck into your house and got long pants, knee socks, long sleeve shirts, and winter gloves. We hid behind the rabbit hutch and suited up. It was boiling hot, but the crying had seemed to get louder, so we had no choice. We followed the sound through the woods for what seemed like forever until we found an old shed with a padlock on the door. The screaming hadn't stopped. Clearly someone was trapped in there. We were just about to run up to the door when it flew open, and we took a few steps back, hid behind some brush, and watched as a monster walked out. He was big and strong, and with one swipe of his arm, he flung whoever was screaming back to the floor of the shed with a thud. He had on rubber wading boots, the kind that attach over your shoulders with suspenders, a plaid shirt, and black gloves. He was the shape of a man, but his head was different. It was all furry and gray, and when he turned to face our direction, we could see that he had a snout like a wolf. He didn't say a word, just stomped off. But the padlock on the shed had failed to hitch all the way, and he didn't notice, but we did. After he had walked far enough away that we could no longer see him, we ran to the door of the shed and yelled to the child inside that we were going to rescue them. She yelled back. She had a tiny voice, and when you heard it, you stopped moving. I figured you were scared or overwhelmed. The situation was crazy, but I kept going. I took the padlock off and threw it to the ground and flung open the door. There, on the other side, in the shed, was your little sister, Polly. Polly had been missing for five years. She disappeared when she was only three. Your mother had brought her to the park one afternoon to play. She turned around just for a moment to drink from the water fountain, and when she looked back, Polly was gone. Since that day, your mother spent all her time and energy looking for Polly. They had been alone at the park that day, so no one else saw a thing, and it seemed Polly had disappeared without a trace. Your mother handed out flyers and went on every news program and talk show that would have her to get the word out, but nothing was ever found. Your mother's whole identity had become trying to find Polly. And here she was, on her very own property all these years later. It didn't make any sense. How could anyone have missed this? You ran to Polly and held her tight. Both of you were sobbing, but she kept saying that we had to leave. She just kept saying we had to go. We had to go fast. And suddenly we heard footsteps. By the time we all looked up, it was too late. The monster was standing right over us screaming in utter panic. I ran as fast as I could. I pushed by the monster's legs and I just ran. And I didn't look back until I got home. Sweating, screaming, and sobbing, I told my mother and father what had happened. At first, I didn't think they believed me. I mean, who would? My mother asked me slowly if I was sure about what I saw. I said, yes, I was. Then my father put on his boots and my mother dialed 911. My father was heading out the door when I caught up with him. I insisted on going with him because I knew where the shed was and I could show them, but he didn't. It was hard to argue with this, and so reluctantly he agreed. But before we left, he loaded his shotgun and put it in the back seat of the truck, just in case. The sheriff met us at your house, and I marched them out through the woods and back to the shed. This time, it was dead quiet out there. 
The padlock on the door was gone, and when the sheriff opened the shed, it was just neatly stacked gardening tools and sacks of fertilizer. No monster. No Polly. No you. As the men were tearing through the shed looking for evidence, your mother came running through the woods asking what on earth they were doing to her gardening supplies. They explained the situation and she immediately began to cry. She sat down on the ground sobbing and said that she had planned to clear a garden space out there. Her therapist had recommended she take up gardening as it was relaxing and it would be therapeutic for her to take care of something and watch it grow. She looked up at me, her eyes black with rage, and said, You're a sick little girl. This is the cruelest thing anyone has ever done to me. You get off my property, and you never come back. I told the sheriff to ask you. You would tell them. So he did. But you told them I was lying. You said, I thought of it as a prank, but you didn't want to hurt your mother like that, so you wouldn't go along with it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I begged you to tell the truth. I begged and begged. But you just turned your back and walked out. Your mother was furious and went to every local news outlet. The story aired everywhere and parents were encouraged to talk to their children about the dangers of mean pranks. I think I'm actually in a couple textbooks. After that, the entire town turned on me. No adults would speak to me, and the kids who were allowed to speak to me bullied me mercilessly. They'd come to my house in the middle of the night wearing wolf masks and bang on the windows. One morning I woke up and someone had killed all the bunnies. After that, we knew we had to move. My grandmother would come visit us, but she knew I couldn't visit her. Everyone in this town thought I was either crazy or evil. Some people thought both. I was never the same again. I don't know why I came back here, I said. Laura squeezed my hand and said, I'm glad you did. By the time I finished the story, I realized that we were at Laura's childhood home. She opened the gate and let her little terrier off its leash and then walked back towards the woods. I took the poison ivy out ages ago, she said. Come on. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Hey, Holly. Hey, Beans. Ooh, we have a big one today. Mm-hmm. And actually, we have a big one the next two times. Oh, boy. Because this is a two-parter. Oh, yeah. I know. Now, I have seen all available case evidence, read trial transcripts, read interviews, read text, watched police interviews, watched the documentaries, and dramatized version of the story. It was a special interest of mine for a long time, but I really thought the market was oversaturated on it. Mm. Um, Now, I'm not going to go give anything away, 
up top, just in case any of you guys have not heard this one before. And Leslie is not super familiar with it either. I'm not, no. Which shocks me. Yeah. Because you watch the documentaries. You're, no. you're like, no, I mean like in general. Oh. You'll watch like a Netflix oh, documentary. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one was wild. Mm-hmm. But I guess I was wrong. It, it, people are still very much interested because this case has been highly requested since we started doing this. Yeah. And this has been one that I've been waiting to do because I've always heard Oh, okay. Everyone talking about it and seeing the documentary pop up for me as like Mm -hmm. suggested. And then there was like a show. And so I just didn't, I just kept putting it off. So that's where I'm at, where I I know this tiny bit, but not, I need to know more. Well, it is a humdinger. And we have a lot that we're going to learn. So put on the coffee, you guys, because we're talking about the complicated murder of Dee Dee Blanchard. Mm -hmm. Some people say Blanchard, which I'm sure she would have preferred, but... It's mostly Blanchard. (laughs) Anyway, this case breaks my heart, though, in all seriousness. The research was pretty tough to swallow. And I I admit that I cried more than once. I'm hoping I hold it together today, but, you know, no promises. I hope you just break down. You hope that I just lose my shit? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great for an audio media. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a video for everyone. Perfect. We'll put it on Patreon. Now, I don't know if you've ever cried before, but um, it can make your eyes pretty puffy. Yes. And then your nose gets swollen. There's like snot to deal with and your mm-hmm. face is red and it's not a great look. No. Mm-mm. And I've tried every remedy I could find to kind of like make that go away mm-hmm. and fix up my complexion, mm-hmm. but none of them have really worked. Yeah. And um, I know you're probably still battling your own f- sleep. Oh, yeah. Issues at present. The the rage of hormones coming through. Yeah. Just causing tears. Just, just. I just cry. Yeah, it happens. And so you understand. (laughs) Puffy eyes, puffy nose. It's just Mm -hmm. not going well for us, you guys. (laughs) We're a mess. We just look so sad. (laughs) But I do remember hearing about one magical ingredient Mm. that might be able to take care of all of our collective problems in one shot. Oh, that sounds good. I know, right? And that magical ingredient is just a little pinch of validation you worth dying on oh you're soulful today yeah i don't know where that came from i didn't even know the depths of your being <laughs> i like it and best of all leslie our fiends can give us that priceless ingredient totally for free oh my god how but how you must be asking yourself <laughs> yeah i know it's a pressing issue well i will tell you Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for all of you. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, don't worry, you don't have to. Yay! You can simply support us over on Patreon. There for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. Especially after we just talked about how messed up our faces are. Gonna be a puffy, I don't know. Time. But yeah, puffy time. Yes. That sounds nice. Puffy time? Puffy time. It does kind of sound nice. Oh, it's puffy time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that next time you start crying about something. Is it puffy time? Puffy time, Polly. 
I really like that. Okay. It's our next t-shirt. <laughs> You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, uh, the opportunity to participate in some giveaways. And uh, with the holidays coming up, I have a feeling we might do one of those in the near future. We have some yeah, Christmas sure. stuff, right? That'd be great. I think we could do that. Just thought of I'd that right now. I'd love to put that in. I would do. You'll also get some special merch deals and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. That sounds so nice. Isn't it nice? Yeah. We have a nice family. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. That one sounds sexy. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And we all want to be sexy, so do it. Yeah. You can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell the guys at the Christmas tree lot around the corner. What are their names? Chad and Tyler. Yeah, that are that that are their names. Yeah. <laughs> that are their names. It is. And I'm just gonna <laughs> stick to it. Then Chad and Tyler can become fiends and uh and we can all hang out together. Awesome. Yeah, I heard they spike their hot chocolate. Ooh, yeah, so they do. We'll ask them to bring some. They do. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be a good holiday gathering. Those guys mm-hmm. are going to be cool. Yeah. They like to, like, find the cool moms, too. So like, And we're cool moms. We're cool moms, but not when we look like we had some puffy time. So. <laughs> I just had puffy time. <laughs> so we need that validation. Yeah, so give us that validation. Anyway. So Chad and Tyler will <laughs> spike our drinks. <laughs> that's the Hallmark movie I want to see. Yes. Oh, boy, you guys. <laughs> Put, like, the t- red truck and over top of it, it says Puffy Time. Yeah. That's our new Christmas merch. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all I have in the way of ideas and announcements for this week. <laughs> Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Uh, yeah, I'll add something. What is it? So, um, if for our merch store, we do have a Christmassy uh styled shirt and yes it's really cool yeah it's our like reindeer Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna start posting about that in case you guys wanted some of our christmas merch this holiday season yeah it's cool um and i think there'll be some like discount days too so i'll make sure i post which days are discounts my goodness (laughs) my dog is scratching at the door to try and come in he's not allowed because he makes cow sounds when he gets in here so anyway it's more like a calf yeah he's not that big that's true it's not dipper it's bandit he could never. He's too small. Yeah. But that's my announcement. Those are good announcements. Yeah. Check out our merch store. Our Christmas merch is so cool. I have yeah. uh, like a, a print of our Christmas logo mm-hmm. that I hang up every year. And it is like one of my favorite pieces of art. It's, yeah. It's really cool. I also, I have a whole bunch of prints as well. So maybe I'll post those in the group and see if anybody, um, we can ship those out. I've tried to figure out ways to ship them without it. And tube. You got to roll them up. Yeah. Tube would probably be the right way. It. Yeah. We can make it work. I mean, maybe we'll do a giveaway for one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Okay. Like and share our posts. Yeah. And then then we'll see. Maybe. (laughs) This is just a marketing meeting, you guys. So I'm glad you came. Yeah. Thank you. All right, then. On with the show. Sunday, June 14th, 2015 was a warm and humid day in Springfield, Missouri or like Missouri, as some people will say. Not me, but some people. Okay. Every type of weather showed up that day. At first, it was overcast. 
then it was sunny, then a thunderstorm rolled in, the sun came back out afterwards for a bit, and by nightfall, the storm returned once again. No snow? No, you're right. So not every kind of weather, but like a lot of weathers. Just want to make sure we're accurate. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for fact-checking. Now, I know the weather doesn't have the ability to mimic the events it shares with the day, but this one sure does make me wonder. Unreliable weather, however, does make for a pretty good lazy Sunday afternoon setup. Nice. When you're like, well, it was raining and stuff. Mm-hmm. I might as well just like hang out. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And Kim Blanchard had been going about her business on her Sunday afternoon, scrolling through Facebook like you do, when she came upon something that sent a jolt of electricity through her body. It was a post from an account her friend, who lived a couple blocks away, shared with her daughter. Their posts were usually inspirational or updates on their life, that kind of thing. But this one was dark. Mm. Funny thing about these friends, they uh, had the same last name as Kim and her husband, Dave, Blanchard. Their names were Dee Dee and Gypsy. The four of them had the same last name and lived in the same development, but they were not related. Okay. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I was very confused for a second. I know. Like reading these articles, if you don't, to get that fact in really fast, you're like, so uh, is this like a like a relative or what's right. happening? Right, is this an aunt? What's yeah, going on? It's, it becomes unclear. But they were just strangers who shared a last name. Lovely. Dee Dee and Gypsy moved into town in 2008. And since that time, Kim and Dave discovered that they had more in common than just a last name. As it turned out, they had similar interests too. They both like science fiction and fantasy stuff. They both went to conventions, um, like for, you know, those kind of things. Okay. And with time, Kim and Dave got to know Dee Dee pretty well. Cool when your neighbors can be your friends. We like it. The truth is that everyone in their neighborhood got to know the new Blanchers in town pretty well, pretty fast. After all, their story was pretty remarkable. The two had moved to Missouri from Louisiana in 2005 after losing everything they owned in Hurricane Katrina. Now, I don't know if you guys remember 2005 or not, but Hurricane Katrina and the heartbreaking devastation she brought was everywhere. Like the media was all Hurricane Katrina for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was like, everyone has to do something. Mm -hmm. There was just such this sense of obligation to do whatever you could. I mean, I still feel like that just happened. I know. That's how much like media was going on. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. And I'm not sure there was anyone in this whole world who would tug on the heartstrings of the general public more than a Katrina survivor except maybe two Katrina survivors Mm -hmm. with nowhere to turn, one of whom was a little girl and not just any little girl. You see, Dee Dee was a single mom, already another sympathetic thing. Hurricane Katrina survivors, single mom and her girl, like, whoa. And her ex-husband was a violent drug addict who abandoned them and refused to support Gypsy in any way. And they needed a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Little Gypsy was overrun with serious medical conditions. She had leukemia, muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, breathing problems, vision problems, digestion issues, dental issues, partial paralysis, and that's not to mention her developmental delays and compromised mental capacity. So this is like a, a oh, wow. very medi- medically complicated person. So he was having a lot of puffy time. It's probably, yeah, all the <laughs> puffy time. It was hard for all of their new neighbors to imagine how these two had gotten by. I mean, Gypsy couldn't walk. She had no hair. She was missing a great many of her adult teeth. She ate through a feeding tube and was frequently bandaged or braced in some way or another. 
due to the constant surgical interventions she endured to try and prolong her fragile little life. Oh my God. Yeah, it was heartbreaking to witness. Now, Gypsy may have technically been a preteen, but realistically, she functioned more like a preschooler. But it didn't seem to phase the two of them, though. Gypsy and Dee Dee found their happiness wherever they could. Gypsy's little bird-like voice could be heard singing and giggling all the time. And she has this very, very high-pitched, little tiny voice. Okay. And she had a great big smile for every person she met, which is like, you went through unthinkable horrors and you're still able to find the silver lining. That's, that's a pretty inspirational thing. That's what's really nice about being a kid, too, sometimes. Yep. So everyone who met little Gypsy and her mom were, they were totally moved by this story, by their story. And I get that. And they were enchanted by their sweet and kind personalities. People basically would climb over each other just to be able to help these people out. In fact, that's how they ended up in Springfield in the first place. Hmm. After the hurricane, they took refuge in a shelter in Louisiana that had been set up for people with special needs who had lost their homes. So shortly after that, with the help of one of the doctors at the shelter, because obviously if this is for special needs people, there's doctors on staff there, the two of them decided that they would end up relocating to Missouri. And with a lot of generous assistance, they were able to be airlifted out of Louisiana and flown to Aurora, Missouri, where they rented a house. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Now, once they were there, the two of them immediately became local darlings. Gypsy was named the Oli Foundation's 2007 Child of the Year. Now, the Oli Foundation advocates for the rights of children with feeding tubes, and there is no more deserving recipient of their charitable funds than a beaming, grateful-hearted, misty-eyed, sick little girl who just survived Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Obviously. The story of these two resilient survivors began to travel far and wide due to the copious media attention their story had begun to receive. So they were all over the news. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is something that the, like, heartstring-pulling media picked up on immediately. There's a lot of local news interviews that you can see. And soon, Habitat for Humanity got wind of their plight, and they offered to build the two of them a home of their own. Now, if you don't know, Habitat for Humanity is a charitable organization which utilizes volunteer efforts and donations to build homes for families in need. It's a great thing. They were working on a project in the north side of Springfield, Missouri, anyway, which is a town that's about 45 minutes away from where the Blanchards were living in Aurora. Lined up pretty well, right? Mm -hmm. So with much pomp and circumstance and ribbon cutting, the two relocated to a little pink house with white columns and a custom-made wheelchair ramp on Volunteer Way because it's a habitat house. Okay. It's called Volunteer Way. Isn't that cute? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was fun. They were welcomed by news crews and donations from local businesses. Neighbors brought food by and little care packages. The outpouring of love from the community was palpable. Gypsy was gifted free flights to medical specialists in Kansas City. Um, it was the like Mercy General Hospital in Kansas City is like a really good children's hospital. So clearly somebody that complicated needed to go to a special hospital. So they would fly her there. The Make-A-Wish Foundation sent her to Disney World. They also sent her to a Miranda Lambert concert. And they got her backstage passes. So she got Ooh. to meet her personally. Wow. So cool. She also got to meet um, two of her favorite actors from Lord of the Rings. It was Elijah Wood and one of the other ones. I don't remember. Yeah, there's like a picture of her with them. It's cute. <laughs> and really, there was nothing the world didn't want to try and give this poor little girl. 
people were like, just make this poor thing happy. Like, God, how hard life must be. And that is one of the many reasons why the Facebook post Dave Blanchard was staring at that June 2015 day was so incredibly jarring. It was a short status with no photo. So the text is big, right? Mm -hmm. And it read, that bitch is dead. Oh, not the content from that account you're used to, right? It's all like make a wish, gypsies fundraiser, nice inspirational quote, that bitch is dead. So I'm sorry, who posted this again? The DD and Gypsy account. It's posted from them. Okay. Not again. So that's going to raise alarm bells right away. Some people back then in those days of Facebook, which I mean, was long enough ago, they were just like, statusing. They just wrote stuff. It could have been a quote. It could have been whatever. You Mm -hmm. didn't really know, but that... Song lyrics. Exactly. But I just want to stress that that was not their style. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they, they, it wasn't like the kind of people that would put that out and be waiting by their computer for you to be like, what do you mean? Like, that's not what they were doing. So I don't know Kim Blanchard from Adam, but from what I can gather from the cursory look at the public parts of her Facebook page and a couple of interviews that she's done, Kim is one of us. Okay. Okay. She is no fool. She went right to the comments. She's like, okay, how is this unfolding? (laughs) Every time. We know, Kim. Yeah. Good. And the comments were already plentiful and it hadn't been up there for long. People were nervous and confused. There was a lot of like, "Um, I don't think this is Dee Dee. What do you mean? Are you okay? Are you upset? And one woman was like, you guys are watching a movie. (laughs) So she thought. I could see, yeah. It was a line from a movie. Right, right. What movie? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And and a lot of people were just, they were just confused. They were like, what is this? This doesn't seem like you. And one of them were like, this language is nuts. You don't talk like this. (laughs) This is uncalled for. Language. Can you imagine if somebody was just like, please watch your language? (laughs) Like that's their only comment. Oh my God, get it together. They're not concerned about who's dead. (laughs) No, they're like, can you not say, can you just not say a B word? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not good. <laughs> it should also be noted that though the account had both of their names on it, it said like D. Jip Blanchard. Um, only D.D. was like typing on it and stuff. Yeah. Gypsy wasn't contributing really. Yeah, she probably didn't have hands, right? At this she point. had hands, but <laughs> she's just falling apart. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but a couple comments in this feed, the D.D. and Gypsy account commented back. And the comment read, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud, LOL. Ooh. Fucking is also spelled F-U-C-K-E-N. I'm sorry, what? What? Yeah, that escalated pretty quickly. Uh Uh-huh. So now, like, extremely concerned comments start to fly. Because, again, if you are someone who has an ill child and you have used crowdfunding and you know, what you what resources you could to help them and to make their life better. Um, you're online a lot. Mm-hmm. People see you a lot. They see they, you're just a presence. So there's a lot of people from all over the country that it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're all like wondering what is going, what's happening with these people. And the, and it turned to call the cops so fast. Right. Yeah. Like, That's with, such a scary comment. It definitely is. So it's not like it went, it flew under the radar to anybody. It was very widely noticed. Um, and the neighbors are all weighing in. They start calling Dee Dee. She was not answering her phone. Um, most people immediately assumed that the account was hacked, obviously, or that someone had done something awful to them and posted about it. Mm-hmm. They're like, either this is some kind of horrifying, cruel joke 
because she lost her phone and somebody posted on her behalf or something. Or this is like a big problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So also, also very quickly, these neighbors just mobilized. They're like, all right, organize some shit. What are we doing? Right. Kim. Pam Pam got into action. I I know. I know. Kim's a Pam. Kim's a Pam. She's a Pam. I love it. Um, And so she tells the, you know, the comments section that she lives just down the road from Dee Dee and Gypsy and they were going to go over to her house now. She's like, all right, guys, I'm going. I'm going to go look. And Kim, one of us, also called the damn cops and got her husband. Actually, it's kind of unclear which neighbor got to the cops first, since in reality, several people all across the country did call them. Like there were people that knew her from Florida that called the police. Right. That people were calling the police. Because uh, they also made a lot of friends when they were in Disney World. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of Florida people that were on there. Um, but we're with Kim. So we're going to go with Kim's okay. narrative here. Moving forward. Kim and Dave call the damn cops. Then they walk on over to the little pink house and they see that everything is still in silent. They're like, okay, well, it's not. There's nothing weird. They knock on the door several times, no answer. And notice that Dee Dee's car is in the driveway. She drove a cube, by the way. And the doors to the house are shut and locked. So they can't just get in. And the windows on this house, you can see this if you look at the crime scene photos, which I I tell you to do with caution. I will put some up that it's just the house so that you don't have to get into the gross part of it. This isn't widely reported on, but the windows have dark film on them. One of those like stickery type things that like blacks out your window like a car, Mm. which I feel like is suspicious as hell. It's weird. Why why do you need, just get curtains. Why do you need to put like blackout tint on the glass? Right. That, I I don't know, but I'm sure it's that- a choice. It is know? a big choice. I'm sure Gypsy was like photosensitive or something and that's mm-hmm. why, but it's- Well, this way they could see outside, but still- But no one could see inside. No one could see inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if she, like you said, sensitive to the light. Possible. I have no know. confirmation of that, but using it's my- like putting sunglasses on the house. It is exactly like that. Yeah. You are correct. Their house had sunglasses on, so their neighbors could not see inside. Mm-hmm. Other neighbors at this point had quickly followed Kim's lead and were like trickling over to this house because they were all talking over the comment section on Facebook. Um, And officers arrived on the scene shortly afterwards. So our friend Kim and her merry gang of neighbors are smart. And they didn't just call the cops and say like, there are mean posts on Facebook. They said, we want a welfare check. So smart. So police also were notified about the Facebook posts and they saw them too, but this got them there quicker. They're there for a visit to check on the ladies. Now, I think welfare check laws are a state-to-state thing. I'm not sure. But we run into how strange and hairy they are, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot the cops can do. Basically, all they can do at that point is walk around, knock on the door, look in the windows, and talk to the neighbors, unless there is someone present who has a key or legal rights to the property, which is not the case. But there are some loopholes. Due to the threatening Facebook content and the possibility that DG had suffered some kind of critical health event and medically fragile Gypsy is trapped inside there without a caretaker, police were able to apply for a search warrant. But that takes a little while to get. And they have to follow protocol. Trust me, you guys, you want police to follow search warrant protocol. A defense team can get an entire murder, like, totally dismissed if the cops go in without a search warrant. Right. So, Which is so frustrating in cases like this. Of course. You're like, you just need somebody to just go in there. Well, oh, we worked our way around that. Okay. As I said, at this point, the police were not at liberty to enter the home by force. But they, they didn't see any reason why their friend Dave couldn't go through the open kitchen window. There you go. Right? Yeah, Dave. Get it, Dave. We love Kim and Dave. Yeah. 
And that is exactly what he did. He okay. shimmied his butt in this window. And I imagine that this part is, was like super eerie for Dave. And I'm going to need everyone to give him a little slack in a few minutes. So just keep that in your brain pocket for right now. Yeah, this sounds terrifying. Exactly. Dave climbs in the window. The house is dead silent, okay? And usually that house is not quiet for any reason. If you have like medical stuff, it's always mm-hmm. beeping or running or there's always something happening or laundry's going, a television is on. Nothing. Yeah, I hate it already. I do too. So he does a quick walkthrough. He just walks through the rooms in the house. He calls for Dee Dee and Gypsy. Nobody answers. He doesn't see any people in the home. And then he goes out the front door and he says to the police, there's, there's nobody in there, but all four of Gypsy's wheelchairs are still in the house. Mm. Just four wheelchairs, which is wild. Um, but you just don't know how you're going to feel that day. Sure. People just keep gifting it to her. I know. She has a motorized one and then a pushy yeah. one and then two other ones, I guess, for yeah. whatever reason. But they were all in the house. Okay. This is a little house too, you guys. Yeah. It's not a big house. And Dave also said, well, nothing seems particularly disturbed in the home. He didn't see like a struggle. You know what I mean? But honestly, it would be very hard to tell because Dee Dee was, I'd like to say a level two or three hoarder. Mm. Yeah. There were garbage bags in the living room and the artificial Christmas tree still stood in the corner. It's June. The rooms were all cluttered with piles of knickknacks and Tupperware and clothing. There's children's toys, Disney ephemera, food boxes, plastic flowers, papers, soda bottles. I mean, you could make your way through the house just fine and it wasn't a biohazard or anything, but there was stuff everywhere. Mm. It kind of always looked like there had been a struggle. (laughs) But their life was kind of a struggle, so no one really blamed them for that. So the cops thanked Dave and told the waiting neighbors that the sheriff was on the way with a search warrant. And the neighbors dispersed. But nobody just kind of like forgot about the whole thing, right? They're like lying in wait at this point. They're like, I got to know what happened. So they go back to their houses, but they're not, they're aware. Okay. Put it that way. Information was bouncing around on the Facebook feed again at this point, and people had theories. Some people thought maybe they were at uh, Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City a place where they were frequently flown to for gypsies treatments, or maybe they had gone on an impromptu vacation that had been gifted to them out, out of nowhere. That It didn't not happen to them, so you never really knew. Or maybe they decided to visit family. But all of these theories were dissolved pretty fast because you can check on those things. Right. And they were definitely not at Mercy Hospital, and there was no records of any kind of travel, and the car was there. But there were also darker suspicions, like perhaps they had both been kidnapped or killed or both. Now, as soon as the missing persons be on the lookout went out for Gypsy and Dee Dee, web sleuths lit up like a Christmas tree. It cannot be overstated that these two were minor celebrities in their area and beyond. They did not keep a low profile, so their names absolutely would garner internet attention. And if you've never been on the web sleuths website, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? (laughs) <laughs> I will remind you that John Green and Body Movin' from Don't Fuck With Cats come from Web Sleuths. These are people who are very good armchair detectives. Okay. There are some people that are just like amateuring it up, but there are people that are really good at figuring shit out on this website. Yeah. I love them very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we know Web Sleuths does not fuck around. They immediately begin monitoring police activity. These people have scanners. They have, they have, they're figuring it out. They reach out to neighbors and anyone who knew the Blanchards and generally seem to get the most information the fastest. And it's all accurate. So if you want to read 50 pages or more on this case, wherein you just watch it unfold in real time, which I did, you can, and I will put a link in the show notes. Wow. Don't fuck with web sleuths. 
So the world is waking up to something rotten in the town of Springfield, which I'm sure is the title of a Simpsons episode somewhere. We love you, Yardley Smith. She's one of us. <laughs> um, and the search warrant wielding sheriff's department did finally arrive. Like as like it was turning into evening and they're like, okay, we got it. We're good. Which is actually quick for a search warrant. Sometimes they take a really long time because you have to find a judge. Right. So anyway, they get there and they go into the house. And when they do, they find 48-year-old Dee Dee Blanchard dead in her bed, riddled with stab wounds. The mattress is totally soaked in blood and Gypsy is gone. Ooh. It's spooky. And there's blood evidence like all over the place. Okay. Little bits. Mm -hmm. Duh. What the fuck, Dave? Right. He didn't see that. This sounds like a pretty big oversight, but really it wasn't. And let me explain because Dave gets the shit end of this thick all of the time and he shouldn't. First of all, Dee Dee's body was in her bed under lots of covers. Okay. Which were pink sheets, like Pepto pink, okay. not That's what I'm light picturing. Pink. Yeah. And then a patterned, like, baby-style quilt. This is 100% how I just pictured this It's like bed. a mountain of it. Just because, like, based on mm -hmm. what her house looks like and their personalities, I feel like. Yep. <laughs> the pillow shams are also red roses on pink yeah. pillows. Okay. And the fleece blanket that's thrown over the bed is also, like, navy blue and gray. And that's the thing about this whole house. Everything inside looks like it belongs in a daycare for special needs girl children. No. I'm not even kidding. It is so busy. I would get a headache just sitting there. And Gypsy's bedroom is like, it looks like a nursery. Mm. It's just all like little baby things and princess pictures and stuff like that. All the walls in the house are also pink. Not light pink. It's like a Mary Kay home. It, yes, seriously. <laughs> And everything has a pattern. So it's just like, I, I can't, my senses would overload so mm -hmm. fast in that mm -hmm. house that I wouldn't see anything either. There's probably like foil behind it. So it looks like the patterns move. <sighs> probably. <laughs> also, like every countertop is that like oatmeal type um, oh, coloring. Uh -huh. So it's not one color. Yeah. It's less kind of like designed so you don't see stains on kitchen counters mm -hmm. and stuff, but it hides everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. The carpets are darker in color. There is detritus scattered all over the place. So finding blood spatter or even a body at first pass is kind of akin to solving a level 10 Where's Waldo in seconds. Mm. The okay. eye, yeah, the eyes and the brain of your typical human are not set up for that. No. So let's just slow down on Dave. We probably wouldn't have seen it either. Okay, Holly, fine. I feel bad. There's so many articles. <laughs> There's like whole Reddit feeds that are just dedicated to like, why didn't Dave see the body? Because he doesn't comment on it well, at people, first. People are such assholes. They are. They They're really harsh. are. People are so harsh. I feel really bad in this case. Calm down, everyone. Yeah. Settle down. But still, the cops were like, we should probably talk to Dave, right? Yeah, we got yeah. to talk to Dave. Dave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so in a subsequent interview, Dave does mention that there was no smell of decay in the air either, which is helpful. Because decay, as we all know at this point in time and in our listening to true crime podcast lives, it sets in pretty quick, mm -hmm. but it can take 24 to 72 hours for a noticeable odor to set in. Oh, okay. And if he just did a walkthrough and looked into rooms, but did not enter the bedroom, it, yeah. Right. And if it had just happened. Yeah. Like not too long ago. Basically, that's also an indicator for us that she hasn't been dead for that long. Okay. Right. And a house built just for a medically complicated child would absolutely have a good air conditioning unit. So even though it's summertime, it's probably pretty cool in there. Mm -hmm. So, okay, 
we know where where Didi is. Where is Gypsy? Yeah. Back to the internet, right? That's where we would all go. Immediately panic erupted on Gypsy's behalf. The general consensus was that somebody must have taken her. Neighbors just thought it was like some sick, horrible individual. And because she would be without all of her medications, which were all still in the house, her feeding implements, remember she's fed by tube. Mm -hmm. So none of her like food that she can eat is with her. None of her wheelchairs is with her. She doesn't have her supplemental oxygen, among other things. They know that if she hadn't been murdered like her mother, she probably wasn't going to live for very long outside of the home. Mm -hmm. So they set up prayer groups and fundraisers. There's a GoFundMe set up immediately. And over on Web Sleuths, the opinion is a little bit different. They think that perhaps Gypsy had managed to meet someone online who groomed her and then kidnapped her, which happens. Right. That's reasonable. Yeah, we talk about those a lot. That's right. She was very Mm innocent-minded and didn't have the opportunity to have a lot of friends. I, okay, I see that logic. Young girls don't just run away and kill their mothers. Thank you. <laughs> Police were set up on the Blanchard's front lawn when neighbor Aaliyah Woodmancy came home from work. She had anticipated taking her niece out for ice cream, but as soon as she got home, she discovered that her whole family had left and they were standing over on the Blanchard's front lawn. She's mm-hmm. like an across-the-street neighbor. Now, Aaliyah was Gypsy's friend, perhaps her only real friend. So she clearly was devastated when she was like, what is happening? And they're like, oh, well, um, this one's dead and Gypsy's gone. Right. Like, oh my God. But she did have a theory that the whole internet combined hadn't come up with. And the police said, you know, do you know anything? And Aaliyah said, maybe it was her boyfriend. Boyfriend? What? Okay. Yeah. That's what everybody said. Aaliyah explained that Gypsy had snuck online and created several Facebook accounts, and dating app profiles. Hmm. She was, at this point, Gypsy is like 18. Okay. Legally. Right. You know, she's compromised in a lot of ways, but, you know, she's 18. Right. And she's having those feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. And the Gypsy that Aaliyah describes was a girl who desperately wanted to be normal Mm -hmm. and to fall in love. She spent most of her life sitting in her living room watching Disney movies. And she just wanted a love story of her own. Yeah. Okay, I get that. But without the luxury of school or activities, she couldn't exactly meet anybody. But the internet is a different story. In the months prior, Aaliyah hadn't been allowed to talk to Gypsy any longer. She was like, their privileges were cut off. Because Dee Dee had caught them talking about boys. Mm. Like there was... Facebook messenger conversations and texts to Aaliyah where Gypsy's like, what's it like to kiss a boy? Aww. How do you meet a boy? Which is so fucking cute. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. She's 18. Give the girl a break. But when Dee Dee saw this, she was infuriated and she was like, you are trying to corrupt my innocent little daughter. She has the mind of a little tiny child. How dare you discuss things with her? And she got rid of the, her access to the laptop and phone. Ooh, she was like, okay. you, can't, you can't be doing this anymore. So this is rough. Yeah. This mom is rough. This mom is rough. Or at least strict. Strict, yeah. But Gypsy still found ways to communicate because every kid in the world would. Mm-hmm. Mostly through Facebook Messenger. Now, I, I think there was probably another computer in their home and that's what she was able to use. Okay. So she started using Christian dating websites. Christian dating. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually through one called Data Pastor, oh boy. which is wild, she met someone, not a pastor. <laughs> I don't know why he was on there. And they fell in love. I shit you not. 
That's so interesting. Yeah. Not- I mean, there are female pastors, so like a male could have been on there. But then if you're... No, it was designed called- for women to meet male pastors, I believe, because oh. the guy is not a pastor. That's what I'm okay. saying. She did not meet one. I know. Yeah. But I guess because what I was just thinking is if there are female pastors. For sure. But I think it would be pastors and people. Oh, maybe he was looking to date a female exactly. pastor. What a weird thing for both of them. Well, they found each other and either one of them are pastors. They don't give a shit. They're in love. Maybe that was like their struggle that they had to overcome. Okay. We're not Epic pastors. romance. Yeah. Love it. But this just feels so right. I can't ignore you were my not feelings. what I was looking for. Which was the church. But you're what I found. <laughs> you're what I needed all yes. along. Oh, God. So the, the following is a quote from Aaliyah Woodmancy. She said, quote, she was talking about this new guy that she was now in love with, and they had met on a Christian dating site and that they were already planning on naming their children after him. Cute. Okay. I know, which is, sounds right. She went on to say, quote, honestly, what I was thinking whenever I saw all these messages, because Gypsy would send her like screenshots of them, like, look how cute, we're in love, mm-hmm. um, is that these were just fantasies and dreams and nothing like this would ever really take place. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I'm on board. I would think the same thing. Uh, and this quote I pulled from a news outlet, like an interview with Aaliyah, but it's the same thing summarized that she said to the police who then asked if she knew this man. They're like, do you know this boyfriend? Like, where is he? Where do we find him? And Aaliyah said, I don't know him, but I can do you one better. And she went back to her house and retrieved printouts of her conversations with Gypsy on Facebook Messenger about this dude. Oh, great. Yep. His name was Nicholas Godijan, and he lived in Wisconsin. Hmm. Cool. Something to go on, right? But what about those scary Facebook posts that started all of this? Right. Police were able to trace the IP address to a computer in Waukesha, Wisconsin, registered to the last name Godajan. Oh, boy. Bingo! And it should be said, because I think Kim deserves all the credit in the world for this, that like five comments in after Kim started commenting, she was like, guys, like this person can find us. You can trace the IP address of a Facebook account. Mm -hmm. You're saying all these things about this person and they could be coming to get us next. You have to shut up. Right. We love Kim. (laughs) And she's right. They did. They found the guy. But like, that is something that you could do then. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, and yes, Waukesha is where the Slenderman girls were from. Oh, I know. What is in the water there? I have. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. The next morning, Waukesha police, who they obviously contacted. And by the way, the police work is good here. Everybody is compliant with one another. Everybody is working as a team. Everybody does really great at interviewing. Good job to these police. So. And so if maybe we can get that review taken down. I know. First of all, I never said that. That's insane. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. The review that's clearly about another podcast. Another podcast. Um, good Everyone times. go review our podcast. Get I rid know. of this and review. For those of you who did that for us, which was a lot of you. Yeah. Thank you thank so you. much. I can't thank you enough because it really did bury that a little bit. Somebody left us like a weird and nasty review that was like full of things that aren't true about us at all. Right. Like so wildly opposite from the truth that it's clearly about a different podcast. Right, even um, even host-wise, wasn't it? it yeah, was it was like, just wrong. Yeah. All of it was wrong. We were like, what is this? We can't get rid of it. Yeah. I think I tried to, re- I don't know if you, I tried to like do the thing where you report it like, this is not about us, but yeah, I don't know if that yeah. ever worked. Anyway, so Waukesha police the next day go to the John residence where Nick lived with his parents to bring him into custody, obviously. And given what little information they had, they hoped to find Gypsy alive, but they thought more likely they'd 
be looking for a body at this point because she couldn't survive that long. It had been a couple of days, they think, since the body was discovered. Because at this Mm -hmm. point, they're also um, running, you know, the medical examiner is doing his study on Dee Dee's body. And they're like, yeah, this is like probably a couple days. And so anyway, they think, fuck, we're going to have to ask this guy where to find a body. And it's going to be the saddest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Unless, unless he really did love her and set up a whole at-home treatment for her. There's a bubble for her. Yeah. He had bought it all on his own. Yeah. That would have been nice. Mm-hmm. When police entered the go-to-John residence, you know, they walk in and they shout for him to come out because his parents answered the door. They're like, you got to come out. And to their astonishment, out walked Nick and Gypsy. Oh, okay. On her own two feet, breathing just fine. Oh. All right, then. It's time for everybody to get in the paddy wagon. What the whole fuck? Right. According to Nick's mother, Gypsy could walk and talk and eat and speak and read and write and see and hear just as well as any of them could. Huh. She was fine. Did she have hair at this point or was she like wearing like something? Okay, so she did wear wigs. Okay, okay. Uh, Lots of them, like princess curly wigs and stuff. I'll talk all about the wigs next episode. (laughs) But she also did have um, like peach fuzz, probably like a a half an inch of peach fuzz on her head. So they get them both into the police as well as Nick's mother. Like, everybody get in the car. Mm -hmm. We got to talk. And they begin interviewing Nick, Gypsy, and Nick's mother while another team of detectives searches the go-to-John house and still a third team of investigators begin to pull up the pair's online conversation histories. Okay. And that's when everything starts to fall apart. Police ask Gypsy if she's all right. This interview, you can find it online if you want to watch it. It is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. And she says that she's fine. I mean, they're like, "Are you, do you need medic? Like, what do you need? What do we need to do for you? And she's like, I'm fine. I was always fine. Oh. Her ailments were not real. They were an elaborately crafted story her mother had been orchestrating since she was an infant. Wow. Yeah. Gypsy didn't actually know what was wrong with her. But she knew it wasn't muscular dystrophy or cancer or epilepsy or asthma or a heart murmur or sleep apnea or lung disease or paralysis or any of the myriad other things Dee Dee claimed it was because she she is an adult at this point. Right. And she has her whole life known that she was able to do the things her mother said she couldn't do. But that doesn't mean that she didn't receive very real treatment for all of them. That had been torturously real. And it had gone on for her entire life. And we will unravel everything that went on with her in part two, I promise. Okay. Yeah, because I do have so many questions. Yeah. There's a like lot. medical professionals are like involved. A lot of medical professionals are involved. And the deal with that, without going into it too much, mm-hmm. is that when they are presented with a child, especially a child that is compromised, doctors are trained to believe their parents. And she doctor shopped a lot. Mm. She would go around to different doctors until she got the answer she wanted or the treatment she wanted and then just build from there. And if it's your child, you mean you can you can convince doctors to do things. Okay. And it's it, it should stop and it's scary. But, you know, well, again, I'll, I'll explain how she did all of this in episode okay. two. So after this startling moment, right, It doesn't take super long for the outline of what happened to appear during Gypsy and Nick's police interviews. And here's what basically happened. Nick had killed Dee Dee because Gypsy asked him to. Then they ran away together to start a new life. They had taken $4,000 from Dee Dee and spent the night at a motel. 
Then they got on a bus to Waukesha and went back to Nick's parents' house. They were not great planners. I'll explain more later. But neither one of them had the mental fortitude to realize they might get caught. Right. Gypsy had been kept in such a compromised and manipulated state for so long, she didn't even know how old she was. According to the neighbors, she was 18, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we all know. But according to her actual birth certificate found in a safe with another birth certificate that had been printed after Dee Dee claimed the original was lost during Katrina, Gypsy was actually 24. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she was so thin and small in stature and fragile looking that no one ever doubted her age. Gypsy was five foot tall and she's very, like real thin at this point in time and pale and covered in scars and stuff. Nobody... No hair, like missing teeth. She does not read 24 at all. Right. She's super pretty now, by the way. Good for her. Anyway, but she had been so isolated and socially unaware that her sense of reality was also totally warped. And that's not to mention that she was also extremely desperate because you can only be in that state for so long, especially as an adult. Yeah. And Nicholas Godijan is not, is not totally functioning at an adult level either. He had high functioning autism. And I don't like this defense at all. I'll go, I'll tell you why in a second. And one doctor claims that it has left him permanently a teenager in mentality, like 15 or 16 years old. But I should point out the 15 and 16 year olds know that you can't go killing people. So whatever. This is not me giving Nick a pass at all. Here's the thing. The autistic community from everything I've read fucking hates when the defense, I was autistic, I didn't know, is used in court. Mm-hmm. Because they know. Right, right. They know. That's not a thing. They are not like, I mean, yes, it can be severe in some people. But a lot of people on the autism spectrum are incredibly functioning. Right. They know not to do that. Mm-hmm. And society looks at them like they're capable of like not feeling anything and just murdering people when that is mm-hmm. 100% not even a little bit true. Right. But this is the story that, starts coming out. So I am just reporting my due diligence. We will explain more later, but the the two of these people was just a perfect pairing shitstorm. Right. Now, the truth is going to, is trickling out real fast. As soon as they find out that Gypsy is like walking around and not only that accused of first degree murder, the community's freaking the fuck out, right? Suddenly, she's not a poor, sick little girl. The Facebook feed takes a nasty turn where they start calling her a sophisticated scammer. They're like, oh, she scammed us all. And here's the thing. Both of these allegations are wrong. No, she is not the sick little girl that they thought, but she's also not a scammer. Right. This doesn't sound like her. No, she was a prisoner. Right. But in order to show the police and the rest of the world that, she had to explain the whole situation, which wouldn't be easy. And again, I'm going to commend the police for a second because under... At no point in time did they like go in hot with Gypsy. They were very kind mm-hmm. because they saw her and they, they knew what they were supposed to expect. And they were like, oh, no, so this is not, something's not right with this kid. And remember, this is 2015. It's not 1987. And while Gypsy Rose is the most well-known and certainly most prolonged and severe case of newsworthy factitious disorder or Munchausen by proxy, whatever you want to call it, She was hardly the first case to ever turn up. And anyone with an ounce of true crime experience will know that right away, you know, it looks like what I said, Munchausen by proxy, a mental disorder that drives mostly mothers to make their children severely ill over and over and over again for the attention it brings them. 
they they like the attention on their kid, but more what they're looking for is to be perceived as like a hero and an angel and a selfless mother mm-hmm. who is crusading for their ill child. That's what they, that's their fucking bread and butter. Right. And the internet has made that so much worse and more accessible. In fact, there's a branch of it called Munchausen by Internet now, which we'll talk about at the end. Ooh. Yeah, and it's so real. Frequently, though, the children at the end of this endure a great many unnecessary medical procedures before anyone realizes what's really happening. And honestly, a lot of them die. This is so sad. It is sad. If you go back and look at the case of Mary Beth Tinning, she killed like eight of her children as babies. She suffocated them because she liked the attention she got when she had a dead infant. And it took that many before they realized she was doing it. Right. So it gets bad. And I'd really like to stop using terminology that isn't wholly appropriate. And I, I don't think this is widely known. So right now would be a good time to take a little break for a little lesson, I think. Okay. So the majority of the information on the disorders discussed in this episode comes from the collected works of Dr. Mark Feldman. I love this man. He is a genius. You're going to hear me refer to him more. Trust me. Dr. Feldman is the world's leading authority on the Munchausen family of disorders. He has published numerous books and academic papers on them. He has been an expert witness in a lot of trials. He's been on all the shows and all the ID stuff and all the documentaries and is one of the only doctors in the world that has conducted actual research on the treatment of a segment of this family of disorders. Dr. Feldman has broken down the act of harm to oneself or other for personal validation and attention from others into manageable terms that made it way easier for me to understand. So I'm going to bring it to you. Also, if you see an expert on Munchausen syndrome in anything, it's him. You guys, if you've watched Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is the documentary on this case, it's good. He's in it. Anyway, to begin, the DSM-5, Current Mental Health Bible and Dictionary, uses the terms factitious disorder imposed on self and factitious disorder imposed on another, which is pretty clunky. No wonder people like to say Munchausen still. It's easier. So factitious disorder imposed on self is a factitious disorder in which those affected um, feign or induce disease, illness, injury, abuse, or psychological trauma on themselves to draw attention, sympathy, or reassurance. So in other words, stripped to the clinical bare bones, these are people who make themselves sick and hurt themselves um, in a very convincing manner for attention. So you've seen things where people like inject themselves with fecal matter to get sepsis and like fake cancer and shave their own heads. Like that's somebody that has straight up factitious disorder. Mm. And the term we layer in is the one that people are most familiar with is actually a subset of factitious disorder. And that is Munchausen syndrome. So Munchausen syndrome is like, Factitious disorder with glitter on it. It is a factitious disorder with predominantly physical signs and symptoms. So it's not people just lying. They're like making it happen. Um, And these patients also have a history of recurrent hospitalizations, traveling, and dramatic, extremely improbable tales of their past experiences. So they're going for it, man. These are the social media all-stars. This umbrella can also extend to fabricated traumatic events. A lot of them will be like, I was sick. And then also I was raped. They have like a world of big stories to tell. But remember, this is all self-injurious and aggrandizing. No one else has been involved. And this is an important line to draw because it's where illness crosses over into abuse. Now, people that have factitious disorder or even just Munchausen syndrome, not just the, the further, this is looked at like it's like an addict. It's, it's like an addiction. They can't right. stop doing it. And they're okay. doing it to themselves and they want to stop and they don't like it and it's awful. Okay. 
Well, eventually they want to stop. Obviously they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But when it is one closed loop, somebody doing it to themselves, it is looked at more like an addiction mm-hmm. to a compulsive behavior. Factitious disorder imposed on another is a mental health disorder in which a caregiver creates the appearance of health problems in another person. And it's typically their child because children are way more vulnerable. This may include injuring the child or altering test samples. The caregiver then presents the person as being sick or injured, takes them to the doctor, tells their family. Permanent injury or death of the victim may occur. It then follows that, of course, Munchausen syndrome by proxy would just be a more extreme and fantastical version of the above. Usually the caregiver will seek out lots of unnecessary surgeries instead of just like, you know, having them sick at home. Um, Then they'll seek public support through crowdfunding and social media posts and caring bridge pages. They're like, they want the news stories. So we're all following along, right? Well, there's a problem. You see, factitious disorder imposed on another and Munchausen syndrome by proxy are offender-centric terms for this proclivity. The person with the disorder suffers no repercussions or harm on themselves whatsoever. They have simply developed maladaptive coping skills. They know that what they're doing is wrong. They know it's harmful. They know it's dangerous. They just crave the attention, adulation, and perceived heroism, and often financial gain and gifts, so much more. The problem with offender-centric language is that they're already seeing all of the rewards and none of the suffering, and now we're focusing on them and their problems. Yeah. And I don't like that, and neither do professionals in this case. The real victims are also almost always children. So this is where the term medical child abuse comes in, which is what we call it now, because that's what it is. I don't really care how compulsive this behavior is or isn't or how much these people want attention. There are tons of people in this world who feel unloved and they do not fix that by brutally torturing their children. Right. The action in this case is what the abuse is. Okay. Period. But the disorders themselves have not been recognized for that long a time. I mean, Munchausen syndrome was first described by British endocrinologist and hematologist Richard Asher in 1951. And he says this is when someone invents or exaggerates, blah, 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 to gain attention or sympathy, right? Okay, good. The term Munchausen syndrome by proxy was coined by John Money, what a good name, and June Faith Wurlwas in 1976. So that's even later on. And at that point, they called it folle adieu in the parents of psychosocial dwarves. Did you, did you want to know what psychosocial dwarves are? Yeah, sure <laughs> yeah so did I. Uh, don't worry. It um, it's, refers to um, an act called abuse dwarfism. I, I know it's the, I've never come across that term before, but it's very real. And it is when a child is so severely neglected, emotionally abused, or put in a constant state of stress and high alert, that it stunts their physical growth. Today, we call that psychosocial short stature. And if you all remember, Gypsy's not that tall either. So it could apply here. According to other and more sources, the term was created by a British pediatrician known as Roy Meadow in 1977. In 77, Meadow, then professor of pediatrics at the University of Leeds in England, described the extraordinary behavior of two mothers. According to Meadow, one had poisoned her toddler with excessive quantities of salt, and the other had introduced her own blood into her baby's urine sample. He referred to this behavior as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. That's a little more what we're used to hearing. The dwarfism thing, whoa. 
But there's another reason people don't love using Roy Meadow in the reference here, because his methods of diagnosis when it came to SIDS versus baby murder were not very reliable. His rule of thumb was that, quote, unless proven otherwise, one caught death is tragic, two is suspicious, and three is murder. No exceptions. But nowhere in that rule does it say all of these could be a genetic condition, so there are exceptions. Mm. And there were several cases in which Dr. Meadow testified in that caused mothers to unnecessarily be thrown in jail who had already lost several of their children to a, like, chromosomal abnormality. Okay. So we can stick to the abuse dwarfism people. I like them a little more. At least they taught us two terms for one. Yeah. You know, right? And the medical community didn't initially accept this either. They were like, I don't know if that's a thing. But other than accepting that it's real, which they have since done, the medical community has done almost nothing else to help. This shocked me. According to Dr. Fellman, there have been no, as in zero, federally funded studies on any of the factitious disorders nor are there foundations or trusts organized to fund research. Nothing. Any research he has done has been funded by his own wallet. Wow. I know. Usually what happens is doctors call the police, the police call the doctors, and then the loop just keeps going Mm -hmm. and the child ends up dead. So what does Dr. Munchausen have to do with any of this? Like, what was his research on it? What did he do, right? Well, I hate to be the one to break it to you guys, but he was not a doctor. He was a baron. Oh. Yeah, like the one in the movie. And he really didn't do anything. Baron Hieronymus Carl Friedrich. <laughs> so good. Okay. Munchausen, obviously. He served as a page in the royal court of Duke Anthony Ulrich of Brunswick during the Russian-Turkish War in 1737-1739. This guy goes way, way, way back. He was um, appointed as a coronet in the Brunswick Cursayers, I don't know. He was in the Imperial Russian Army Cavalry Regiment, and he did a lot of military-type things. He was promoted to lieutenant. He participated in two military campaigns against the Ottoman Empire in 1740 and 41. So to be clear, he did have a military career, but that's not why he's famous. Right. In 1760, he retired and settled down on his estates, more than one, in Brodenwerder, and would remain there until his death. I like saying that one. It was during this period in his life that he got quite the reputation because the Baron would host fancy, elaborate dinner parties for local aristocrats and cultural elites. And while he had them all at the table, he would spin wild, thrilling, and exaggerating tales of his military career in Russia, where he was like a big hero that did crazy stuff. Now, to call him, as Wikipedia does, a, quote, imaginative storyteller would be an understatement. And so the Baron became something of a sensation, and his dinner parties were in demand. Okay. You wanted an invitation. Okay. Right? One guest described Baron Munchausen as telling his stories, quote, cavalier indeed with military emphasis, yet without any concession to the whimsicality of the man of the world, describing his adventures as one would incidents which were in the natural course of events. Okay. So rather than being considered a liar, Baron Munchausen was seen as an honest man. And this distinction is key. Baron Munchausen told enormous lies, matter-of-factly, lies that were so big that people didn't doubt them. You normally don't lie about things that are, like, very unbelievable because you think, people are going to check my sources. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. People are way less likely to question giant lies as they are tiny lies. And that's why people get away with this syndrome as well. Mm -hmm. So anyway, one of the guests at these theatrical dinner parties he had was a German writer, scientist, and con artist what a resume, 
named Rudolf Eric Rasp, who took the stories he heard from the Baron and then mixed them in with fables and fantastical works of fiction and turned them into a book called Baron Munchausen's Narrative of His Marvelous Travels and Campaigns in Russia. (laughs) Very quick title. Great. And this book has been adapted a great many times, most famously in the 1988 Terry Gillum film, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Sadly, it is widely believed that the real Baron Munchausen was actually a brilliant satirist and spun his military yarns with more than a dash of distaste for folks who returned from war looking for fame and glory. But the fictional version of him stuck, so we're left with a disorder that makes people lie very convincingly about very big things for attention. Okay. Yeah. But for the rest of this episode, episodes... We will be referring to the actions of Dee Dee Blanchard toward her daughter, Gypsy Rose, as medical child abuse. Language is important. Dee Dee wasn't miserably suffering from a debilitating disorder. The disorder actually is most often associated with um, narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And uh, I think we all know what the world thinks of a narcissist right now. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a hint. It is not sympathetic. Gypsy was abused for 24 years. We're not going to get it twisted. But if you want to explore the avenue that women who hurt their children for attention do so because they feel unloved, we'll get to the medical reasoning for that one in episode two. But what I can say right now is that a great many people make their way through life feeling unloved, Mm -hmm. unrecognized, or dare I say it, unvalidated. Oh, yeah. Painful, Mm -hmm. right? Validation. It is a hill worth dying. Oh, my God. Oh, no. (laughs) Feels dirty now. I know. But these people don't hurt anyone, okay? You can have those feelings and not hurt your child. Mm -hmm. Um, See, we know. (laughs) Because fortunately, in this heavily public world that we all live in, where people broadcast their every thought, whim, and snack, there are other ways to get attention should you feel like you need some desperately. Mm -hmm. Leslie, do you think maybe you could present us with some options for the forlorn out there in the listening world? Yeah, I can come up with some things. Oh my God, thank you. I just talked a lot. (laughs) I mean, you could dress up only in costumes. That's good. That would be fun. You know, you could just be that person that just wears costumes. But not at a convention, like just in the shop, right? Yeah, just like day to day. Got it. Like closets filled with costumes. I like that. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the dean and community. Okay. (laughs) I like it. Loves wearing a costume. Different person every day. You can partake in like a hot dog eating contest or like any eating contest, like, and just like get really good at that. You know, those get televised. Get good at slamming down hot dogs. You'll be on TV. Yeah. I mean, some people make it into a real sport. There's a whole Grey's Anatomy episode about this. I have never hated anything more than competitive eating. Have we talked about this before? No. It makes me physically ill. I can't watch it. I'm sorry. It's okay. (laughs) You could wear like a funky pair of glasses or like consider an eye patch. You know, that's mysterious. Yeah. Everyone would ask about your eye patch. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you can get a funky new hairdo or like invest in wigs uh, as for like a statement piece. I know a guy who does wigs. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, you can have a uh, like a signature scent. Like maybe you're just a really good scent. Mm-hmm. And every time you go, people are always asking, what is, what is that? What is that? Or maybe, maybe it's one you created and then like you build your own business from that. I love that. Or maybe you smell terrible and people talk about that too. Sure. Yeah, you could do it that way. But like if you don't want to hurt other people or yourself, that could be like an unhealthy thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, of course. Um, You can get engaged or pregnant. That got me a lot of attention. True. Yeah. True. Yeah, I'm still feeding off of that. But it's great. But like in a nice, safe way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets you gifts. 
too. It so does. you can have a wedding. So you can get engaged. You get some gifts. You can get pregnant. You get some gifts. Then you can have a wedding and then you can have the baby. You get more gifts. Yeah, that's a lot of attention. Yeah. Plus, like, you guys, if you don't really care about who it's to, you can get married. Oh, for sure. For it's sure. It's not hard. Yeah. And if you don't have people in your lives that can get you gifts, yeah. you that's where like those GoFundMe, like there are women on these groups all the time that are like, I don't have money and they're getting things sent to them. Yeah. Because we're all a community. We're all trying to help you. Of course. So yeah, just have that baby. Yeah. If, if you were doubting. <laughs> um, Own a beautiful dog that attracts social media likes and people on the street like can stop and talk to you. They can ask about your dog. It's great. This also works with a really ugly or compromised dog because the most famous things on TikTok right now are animals with a lot of issues. That's true. It either <laughs> needs to be like really beautifully groomed mm -hmm. or like trash. Yeah, like a garbage animal. Yeah. Yeah. And it better have a personality or you better be able to give it a personality. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a hobby. There you go. You're giving your pet a personality. Okay. Um, you can learn street magic. Ooh, That's I something. like that one. Yeah. Sure is something. Yeah. <laughs> People will definitely talk about you. Yeah. Yep. Um, you could start a cult. That will yes. get you lots of attention. Yeah. Yeah. People will just give you things. They'll Sometimes you, you can get it accredited by like the state, you know. You, you don't have get... to pay taxes if you're a religion. There you go. Yeah. Just start that. Mm -hmm. um, become a regular at a local bar or restaurant, i.e. adopt like a drinking problem. Okay. You know. Very cheers oriented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows yeah. your name. Got it. Yep. Perfect. Start a TikTok that chronicles your new poison garden hobby. That'll get you lots of attention, <laughs> lots of likes. Oh, boy. <laughs> and imposters. Guys, there's people impersonating John out there. Do not follow them. But see, that is all more validation. I know. I told him he's made it. He's famous. I know. This is Love great. it. It worked. It worked for it him. Worked. It could work for you. You could but be like, one of those imposters. You, you may not be as responsible as John, so don't do that. Yeah. That's true. That could be like a harmful one. But like, like there, that's a jumping off point. Right. Get, a, get an, an interesting hobby. Yeah. What interests you, you know? Mm -hmm. And then just chronicle it on TikTok. Social media. TikTok specifically. Yes. Okay. Become a musician. You know, they get lots of attention. They're always making noise. They are. Always making noise. People just like, you become instantly sexier with like a guitar in front of For you. For sure. Um, I mean, maybe like a celloist. That could be fun. Ooh, yeah, know? like half the um, Hallmark movie guys can play some kind of stringed instrument. So there you go. go. Mm -hmm. And like, and you don't even need to like buy like an a um, typical instrument. You can make anything an instrument. That could be sure. your thing. You could be like, I make every anything into an instrument. It could be like a tabletop, your pillows, spoons. People pay attention to that guy. Yeah, yeah. Chandeliers. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could be the the person that plays chandeliers. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. interesting. And I then and then people will invite you to their beautiful homes that have chandeliers, mm -hmm. and that's like a whole thing. And then you can maybe get your own channel on like the Magnolia Network, and you're going into these homes and you're talking about the history, but you're playing music on their chandeliers. That's like a whole thing. And now you're famous and making a ton of money. And then you're designing chandeliers that create music more easily, and you've made another million dollars. Yeah, this is wild. Like I just thought of trademark. That now. Yeah. Okay. I might do this. I think you should. Okay, great. Um, And then this is like the last one. You can just start a podcast. Yeah. It's what we did. I know. It worked for us. Five or six people will pay attention to you. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kidding. We yeah. know there's more like 15 of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we love the attention. We sure do. And the validation. Yes. 
Sorry. Yeah. There are so many op- options out there. So many. There are a lot of things you could do to cause a splash. Yeah. Do those things. Leave your kids alone. You can be the person that creates that creates splashes at all the like pool parties. Like you're yeah. just the cannonball. You're just guy, the splash girl. guy. They them. Yeah. That's what you are. Yeah. Sometimes people want it. Sometimes they don't. But either way, you're it's getting that attention. Happening. Yeah. All right. See? Thank you, Leslie. You're I welcome. think you've saved some lives. I hope just so. Just now. I believe so. I hope so. All right. So back to the Gypsy Rose situation. The police are not blind to what's going on with her either. They see this. They see what's happening. They are gentle with her. But they know that it's going to take a lot of time and patience to unravel. Um, so Gypsy's jailhouse phone call also, it should be noted, was to her father, a man who had never abused her or Dee Dee and wasn't an addict or an alcoholic. He also had, unbeknownst to Gypsy, as we will come to find out, always paid his child support on time. Okay. He didn't abandon anyone. <laughs> That's a very different story. Ray gets, a, Ray gets a bad rap. In the meantime, the police in Louisiana, where Dee Dee was from originally, have been informed. And they now have the unpleasant task of informing Dee Dee's family of her death. And her death is like a complicated one, mm-hmm. right? So they, they want to do this quickly so that her family can make arrangements to have her body transferred and given a proper burial. Or whatever they, in their faith, do. And they did not anticipate the reaction they got, though. Because when they told Dee Dee's father or stepmother and family, they did not cry for her. No Buffy time? No Buffy time for Claudine, which is her real name. Oh. And they most certainly did not want her body. They don't want it. Absolutely not. Were they surprised that Gypsy had some involvement in her mother's death? No, they were not. They said that Dee Dee got exactly what she deserved. Okay, so they were like proud of Gypsy. Kind she of. She got out of there. Kind of, yeah. Okay. One of her um, cousins, who's a fucking badass tattoo artist, has said in numerous interviews, he's like, I, I would have fucking killed her for her. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's like, I think, I don't think she died slowly mm-hmm. enough. I think it should have been way more painful than it was. They do not think highly of this woman, obviously. Yeah, I'm not, I'm starting to not to either. Though. Exactly. So, who in this case is the victim and who is the monster, right? Yeah. Well, let's go back a little bit and find out, okay? So Dee Dee was born Claudine Petre, I think, Petra, P-I-T-R-E, in Chack Bay, Louisiana in 1967. She grew up with her family in the nearby town of Golden Meadow. She was, and this is like in the bayou. This mm-hmm. is like kind of rurally Louisiana. Um, I'm not going to do a whole breakdown of the town because we have so much information already. She was one of five children, born to Claude Anthony Petre and Emma Lois Gisclay, I think. She, it, this is, Louisiana has some French going on there. No. Emma Louise. Lois, L-O-I-S, and then okay. G-I-S-C-L-A-I. Gisclay? I don't know. When Dee Dee was young, her parents got divorced and her father remarried, but her mother never did. Her father and stepmother remember her as an incredibly difficult and revenge-driven person ever since she was a very small child. That's wild. Isn't it? Yeah. They're like, she was never just easy to be around. She was very difficult. She was very demanding on everyone who knew her. She needed a lot. I don't mean to laugh, but now having like a baby and just thinking about saying that about I know. like my... Isn't like, that insane? My, like when she becomes two, just being like... Just using those terms. I know. She's a, she's a very re- revengeful child. She's a vicious baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
my new band name, yeah. Vicious Baby. There you go. Oh, God. Uh, but they, they describe her as someone who was always hell-bent on getting exactly what they wanted when they wanted it. And all kids are kind of selfish that way. It's a, it's a, but, yeah. but she also, if she didn't get what she wanted, she, somebody had to pay. And her stepmother <laughs> says, and oh, did we pay. Oh, boy. Often she'd exact her revenge by stealing money or credit cards from her family. Mm-hmm. Big on stealing things okay. or, you know, running away and stuff. And this is something that um, her biological mother had also done in her younger days, the mm-hmm. stealing money from her parents, big amounts of money, writing fraudulent checks, lots of that. Dee Dee uh, also wasn't very fond of her stepmother. And on one occasion, she uh, poisoned her with Roundup weed killer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Laura almost died and spent nine months bedbound afterwards. Wow. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen what Roundup does to plants, like poison ivy yeah. or something. But I imagine it's equally as ugly when it's inside a human being. This is why we will keep it in the house. That's right. Yeah. So I have to say, her entire family confirms this. They're like, yeah, she she poisoned Laura. We all know it. But for whatever reason, there is no, like, legally leg for them to stand on. I guess they didn't have enough proof. They couldn't prove anything. Or maybe they were too scared to. I don't know if I'd want to fuck with that woman. Well, they're just not snitches. I guess, yeah. Because they never really explain why nothing happened legally. And there mm-hmm. is an interview wherein they ask her cousin and he's like, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why they didn't report her. But it is unquestionable that she did this. Right. That's just Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. She's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. She's a really vicious baby. She's a little older at that point. In time. Yeah, she's yeah, not using sure. Roundup when she's a vicious baby. She was older. Why you don't? That's why you have to lock those up from the kids. Exactly. So after high school, so she graduates high school and she finds work as a nurse's aide. It should be noted that it is a nurse's aide, a place where you can learn a lot of medical things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she couldn't hold down that job for very long. Her mother had fallen seriously ill, like her biological mother, not Roundup mom. And um, and after Dee Dee loses her job, she takes on her mother's care full time. And one can't help but notice that Emma's sickness had won her quite a lot of sympathy and attention. And in some circles, I'm sure Dee Dee was admired for being such a loving and self-sacrificing daughter. I gotcha. That's okay. where you learn it. At 24 years old, Dee Dee meets and falls in love with Rod Blanchard. She also got pregnant immediately. Like, like immediately. And because it was seen as the right thing to do at that point in time and place, the pair got married immediately after mm-hmm. discovering the pregnancy. It should also be mentioned that Rod was 17. Which is a crime. Right. I'm sorry. How old was she now? 24. 24. Okay. I guess it wasn't in 1990, Louisiana. No, probably not. But we need to remember that he is technically, mentally a child. Right. So the baby, a little girl, was born in July of 1991, and they name her Gypsy Rose because Dee Dee likes the name Gypsy, and Rod, let's not forget who is 17, likes Guns and Roses. I was going to say, yeah, for sure. That strikes me as odd that she wasn't named after Gypsy Rose Lee. Because the name itself feels a lot like a prophecy. Gypsy Rose Lee, of course, was a vaudeville actor turned burlesque star who entered show business at a very young age and was exploited for a great many years for attention, fame, and money by her overbearing mother. Oh my gosh. Do you think they even knew who that was? They absolutely didn't. That's so It's the strangest coincidence in the world. Yeah. Whoo! Incidentally, the musical Gypsy is based on Gypsy Rose Lee, in case you didn't know that. Okay. Check that out. Let me entertain you. That one? Yes. Okay. So soon after Gypsy's birth, which was uneventful, to be clear, Gypsy was a healthy baby. 
Rod and Dee Dee get divorced because Rod comes to realize that Gypsy was the only reason they got married in the first place. He didn't actually want to be married to Dee Dee. He just wanted to do right by his child. And he's 17. But he promises to remain in his daughter's life and to support her as much as he can. He's like, I'm not abandoning my duties as a dad. I just don't think we should be married. Right. She was not very nice. At three months old, Gypsy's troubles begin. Now, Dee Dee claims that Gypsy had trouble breathing when she slept. And she brought her to the local hospital repeatedly for overnight stays to like monitor this. She insists that she thinks Gypsy has sleep apnea. The doctors could find no sign of sleep apnea in a healthy little girl, but doctors are also trained to believe parents. And so they fitted her with the CPAP machine to wear while she slept. Now, guys, like sleep apnea is not common with babies. It's not a thing babies have a lot. No, not they also sound so ridiculous at night when they sleep. They do. They're very <laughs> snorty. Yeah. And they do stop breathing at points yeah. and then start again. Yeah, they do. And that's, that's what they do. That's normal. Legitimate sleep apnea is much less common. And it mostly occurs in babies who are born prematurely and who weigh under 2.2 pounds at their time of birth. Okay. Those are very specific baby problems. Right. And probably if your kid was like in the NICU and you've had mm-hmm. issues already, you're, you're attuned. You know this is mm-hmm. going to happen. You, you're treating it. But Dee Dee also claimed that Gypsy was a preemie and she was born very underweight. But she wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Premature babies are also a hallmark of mothers with any kind of factitious disorder. For some reason, they, every single one of them latches onto that. A lot of them actually have a premature baby and they experience this caretaker glory during that. And Mm -hmm. then they go on to not stop doing it. Right. Basically. That didn't happen here. Okay. I, yeah, that's weird. I can see that happening. Yeah. Very easily. Especially if you have like postpartum depression and the only mm-hmm. thing that makes you feel better is that your child is ill and people are like bringing you things and caretaking and loving mm-hmm. you and making and building you up. But you're also called in for so many checkups before that child reaches its birth weight that you're constantly going in and everybody is like knows who that kid is, knows who the parents yeah. are. Like they're so aware because you're constantly going in for appointments or you're, if you are stuck at the hospital still, like everybody knows who you are. Yeah all the time. And it should be noted that that didn't happen to Gypsy. Yeah. But her mom said it did. Right. So they believed her. Mm -hmm. That's that's all. They don't like fact check you when you bring Mm -hmm. your kid in unless they suspect you. Right. You're the one that's technically home with them all the time. So you know what's going on. Yeah. If you say my daughter was born prematurely and she was two pounds, they just write that down. They don't call the hospital like to check on that. Well, they do. They should now, right? Or they should have their records now. I mean, they can, but that's yeah. not protocol. They don't access you. They don't automatically fact check you. They just believe what you say. You could say anything. You could take your kid in and say anything. Right. But I guess when I, I, I'm sure that it doesn't happen everywhere. But for instance, like my first appointment, they pulled up her hospital records and were like, okay, she weighed this much. Yeah. Oh, now. Yeah. Too. This, that's now. Mm-hmm. This is 1991 in a different part of the States. Right. They don't, they, the, the fact is they don't have to, right, they're not right. obligated to. Right. And they do ask me a lot of questions mm-hmm. that I could just give an answer to. I could say whatever I want. And even now, not all medical records are immediately accessible to a doctor just via like computer request. Yeah, true. You have to get them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know I had to get my own like MRI results and take them to my doctor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it does happen. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Fresh off the hospital stays and new equipment, Dee Dee took Gypsy and moved back in with her family. And you'd imagine 
that um, the problems were kind of solved now that she had this imaginary breathing issue under control, but that was only the beginning. Dee Dee claimed that the breathing disorder combined with her prematurity, issues with eating an uncommonly small head. Listen, leave us small heads alone. <laughs> she thought this meant that Gypsy probably had an undiagnosed chromosomal disorder. Now, if you look very carefully at the uh, photos of the way Gypsy is presented through the years, staged, if you will, um, because all of her physical differences, her, her mom did. She was like shaving her head and stuff. Right. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, you'll, you'll notice that she was styled to look like a microcephalic pinhead style person, like right. the kind that was in freak shows in the Dust Bowl era, Sideshow era. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not an accident. Think Pepper from American Horror Story. That's what she's trying to recreate. Right. I just wise. looked at a picture and that's exactly who I was thinking right? of. Yeah. Yeah. So this revelation that his daughter could be like unimaginably un challenged was terrifying to Rod, who was like 18 now, but not mm -hmm. that old. His little daughter needed constant monitoring and breathing assistance. And Didi wasn't sure he was qualified for that job. I don't think Rod was either. He was like, I, I can't help her. I might hurt her. Mm -hmm. So it was decided that he would not ever have her overnight. And with that, the isolation really okay. began. You see, it's much easier to carry out this stuff in a position where no one is asking questions. And her family already didn't want to fuck with her. Mm -hmm. And now Rod's on the outs. So she can do whatever she wants to do. And she wants to do quite a lot. And that is where we will pick up in part two. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So you guys, stay tuned, um, and we'll have that out for you soon. Wow, this is wild. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. All right. So I'm not going to sign us off because we have more to go, but um, thanks for listening to the first tab. See you next week. Bye. Next episode. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. She's a vicious baby. Yeah. <laughs>